You are listening to audio from First Baptist Church in Fort Walton Beach. If you would like more resources or to watch our service online, please visit fbcfwb.org. Listen in as Pastor Wade helps us abide in Christ and advance the gospel through the teaching and the proclamation of God's Word. Every July, I love watching the Tour de France. I can't really tell you why. I'm not a cyclist. I can't remember the last time I've even ridden a bike. But I love watching that cycling race that takes place in Europe every summer. I enjoy watching these great endurance athletes pedal for miles and miles and miles. I love the the scenery, the countryside, the villages, the cities, uh, the history as they're working their way through that race over 20 days. It's just something I always watch every summer. And there are certain parts of the race where they're on smooth, even ground. And man, they are pedaling and they are moving and they are flying uh, across those roads and highways. But there are other times when they hit the mountain stages. And that's why I really appreciate how great of athletes, uh, how great of athletes these guys are. They hit those mountains and these, these sharp inclines. They're pedaling hard to try to make it over the mountain. Well, we've been studying the book of Daniel. And the first six chapters have been smooth pedaling. We've kind of been flying through it. It's profound and it's challenging, but really the first six chapters are pretty easy to understand. You have some, some Hebrew boys that are taken into captivity to Babylon, and their faith in the one true God is challenged, and they stay strong. We get that, don't we? And we've, we've flown through those first six chapters. When well, chapter 7, the actual genre of the book changes. It changes from narrative to apocalyptic. And we begin to study some things that are going to unfold as we approach the end times. And now it feels like we're pedaling uphill a little bit. A little more challenging to, to understand. We've got to kind of dig in. But what I've noticed in that Tour de France race is this. When they make their way up to the heights of those mountains, the vistas are unparalleled. The scenery is breathtaking because they made it all the way to the top. And if we will do our due diligence and put our thinking caps on and dig in and study hard, we will see the vistas of God's glory in the remainder of this book. I want to show you this from Daniel chapter 7. Look in verse 19 with me. Daniel chapter 7, verse 19. We talked last week about a vision that Daniel was given under the reign of the Babylonian king Belshazzar. How it was a picture of empires overthrowing empires. But there's a particular part of the vision that Daniel asked for more information about. We're going to see that this little bit of information affects the future. So look there with me in Daniel chapter 7 verse 19. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. 
Taranda, thank you so much for being with us this morning. What a blessing. Wow. So powerful and, and uh, just so Christ-honoring, and we appreciate your ministry uh, in music. Thank you for being with us. Uh, during uh, God Bless America, I got so caught up in the moment, I turned on my microphone to give a little more oomph. Um, to, I just felt, I just felt that I felt it, and uh, so I'm kidding, I didn't do that, but um, thankfully, but it's been a blessing. Daniel chapter 7, verse 19, the Bible says, then I desired, this is Daniel talking, I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, we talked about the fourth beast last week, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head and the, the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things. Now, remember, we're going up the mountain, right? We're talking about a horn with eyes and a mouth. But stay with me. The second... And it seemed, I'm sorry, greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints, prevailed over them until the ancient of days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we pause in this moment because we need you. We need you to move in our midst by the power of the Spirit that we might be gripped by the truths of your word and that we might be changed by the truths of your word. So would you move in our midst, touch our hearts, change our lives by your grace and for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Again, last week we studied the vision of Daniel, these beasts rising out of the seas, and one beast would defeat another beast. And I told you last week it was a picture of the Babylonian Empire being overthrown by the Medo-Persians, and the Medo-Persians being overthrown by the Greeks, and the Greeks being overthrown by the Romans. We studied that, and the angel that is describing this to Daniel gives him a summary in verse 15. Look what he says there in verse 15. This summarizes last week's sermon. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious as he's trying to process this vision. And the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom, possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. So the angel says, here's what it's all about. Empires throwing over, uh, overthrowing empires, but one day the saints of God will receive the final eternal kingdom. So I know it's scary, Daniel, but it's all going to turn out okay. That's the summary of last week's sermon. But Daniel wants a little more information. You and I would have too. Look what it says there in verse 19. Then I desire to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest. So Daniel's saying, okay, I get it. I understand the vision. You know, Medo-Persians and Greeks and Romans, I, I get all that. But what about that fourth beast and the, the horns and the horn that had eyes and the horn that talked? What, tell me more about that. I want to know more. It was terrifying. It was scary. Tell me more about that beast. And so in the remainder of this passage, we see the interpretation of what this horn is all 
about. And we see that this horn is about the future. And we know that because verse 21 says that the, the horn represents someone that will be wreaking havoc un, until the Ancient of Days comes. So the Ancient of Days hasn't come yet. The second return of Christ has not happened. So these are things that will happen right before his return. It's future tense. And I want to just explain to you under just two simple headings this morning. The, the realities that are described in this interpretation of the horn. First of all, I want you to see the terror of the sinister. The terror of the sinister. It says there in verse 20, this beast, the fourth beast, ten horns on its head. Then this other horn comes up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth and spoke great things and that seemed greater than its companions. There's a horn that is greater than the other horns overshadowing the other horns. The horns represent rulers or powers or strength. And so this, this, this horn that comes up on this fourth beast represents a ruler. This helps us understand that even though the fourth beast representing Rome would fall, the spirit of Rome consisting of world domination and anti-God sentiment would live on. That's what's happening in our world today. A desire for world domination and anti-God sentiment. We see that in all different parts of our world. That spirit of Rome lives on. And from this, this spirit, listen, will arise a consequential leader. That's what it says there in verse 20. This horn that comes up is greater than its companions. There's something about this horn in this vision that represents someone of great consequence. I believe the figure who is wreaking havoc just before the return of Christ corresponds to the figure of 2 Thessalonians 2 called the man of lawlessness. This figure is also mentioned and described in very similar ways to Daniel 7 in Revelation chapter 13. And in Revelation 13, this figure is called the beast. And then in 1 John chapter 2 verse 18, we're warned this figure is coming and he's called the Antichrist. That's who this horn represents. Now I want to show you just quickly what this Antichrist figure will be guilty of. First of all, Antichrist will be guilty of blasphemy against God. Notice what it says there in verse 25. He shall speak words against the Most High. This Antichrist, this beast, this man of lawlessness would be raised up to power. And would speak words against the Most High. In the parallel passage, Revelation 13 verses 5 and 6, the Bible says, The beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words. It was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God. Blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. So this figure would boldly, boldly blaspheme the name of the one true God. The second thing about this Antichrist figure is he would be guilty of warfare against God's people. It says there that he would, he would bring war against 
the saints. It says there that he would be raised up in verse 25 and wear out the saints of the Most High. That word wear out is, a, is an interesting word. It means, uh, in translation of the Aramaic, it means to, to, be, uh, to, to wear out like a garment or to wear away. And it says this Antichrist will lead in an effort to wear out the saints. Who are the saints? Well, the saints are followers of Christ. God's people in the here and now until he returns. Those are the saints. Now notice this wearing out of the saints happens just before the return of the Lord. As it says there in verse 21. So who are the saints? Who are these Christians who are under the assault and attack of the Antichrist. Well, there's, as you might imagine, there's some disagreement on this among scholars and in the body of Christ. Some people believe that the church will be raptured uh, before the second coming of Christ, maybe before the, before the tribulation or in the middle of the tribulation period, uh, and the church won't be here. So these are folks that are saved during the tribulation period. As they see their error in not receiving Christ, they hear the gospel and respond. These are the saints who are alive when this Antichrist rises to power. Some believe the church will not be raptured until after the tribulation, before the second coming of Christ. And so they would say that this is the the church. These are Christians who are just living their lives following Jesus, and they find themselves under the assault, the persecution of the enemy. But whatever one believes about that, we understand there will be Christ followers, there will be Christians on the earth who experience the attacks of the Antichrist. He will wear them out. It speaks of oppression or harassment or persecution. The NASB says it like this in verse 25. Not only will he wear out the saints of the Most High, he shall, shall, it says, think to change the times and the law. The NASB says he will intend to make alterations in times and in law. In other words, this... Antichrist figure, now listen, will take away freedoms. In fact, Stephen Miller writes this, religious freedom during this time will be abolished. Economic pressure will be applied to force his subjects to follow him and to reject religion, Revelation 13, 16, and 17. Denying religious liberty, Miller says, is characteristic of dictators like Antiochus IV, Nero, Domitian, Stalin, Hitler, and others. But the Antichrist, listen, will go beyond what anyone has done before in his attempt to create a thoroughly secular world. In other words, the worst that human history has to offer in terms of dictators pales in comparison to this Antichrist figure. Now, this is the Sunday where we celebrate our freedom and independence as a nation. July 4th is coming on Tuesday. I love July 4th. I I love the the hot dogs, the apple pie, and the the fireworks, and the red, white, and blue, and the celebration, and the flags. I I, I love July. It's one of my favorite times of year. And we, we pause as a nation to say, isn't freedom good? Isn't freedom wonderful? Isn't freedom a gift of God? We get to worship Jesus with a freedom of conscience to pursue him in the ways that we see fit. Freedom is a wonderful thing and we celebrate that this time of year. But there is coming a day 
where you won't be able to find religious freedom. Because the Antichrist will rule and reign with an iron fist and will take those freedoms away. And notice his success. Look what it says in verse 21. It says, The horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. So the Antichrist, for a time, is going to seem successful. He's going to oppress the saints and take away freedoms and rule with an iron grip. And the Bible teaches this terrible reign will last for three and a half years, the second half of the tribulation period that the Bible speaks of. And so the first part of this this message is this. There are some terrifying realities coming to this earth. And much of it will be led by a figure called the Antichrist. You say, oh, Pastor Wade, it's, it's, uh, it's July 4th and God bless America and Tarenda's here. And it's, boy, it's great. And Antichrist? It's kind of bracing, it's kind of shocking to, to be reminded that this is reality. The terror of the sinister, but it doesn't stop there. There is good news. The second heading that I want you to see as we look at this passage, or the second reality is this. We see the triumph of the saints. The triumph of the saints. Let me just show you this quickly. First of all, the Lord will come to rescue his people. It's going to be bad. But the Lord will come to rescue his people. Look what it says in verse 22. The Bible says, well, look in verse 21. The horn made war with the saints, prevailed over them until, I love that word, until, don't last forever, until the Ancient of Days came. That speaks of God the Father, if you remember earlier in chapter 7. So this means that the Ancient of Days will rise up. He's seated on his throne now. He will rise up and say, enough. The Antichrist has had his moment. Enough. And then he will send his son back to set everything right. In fact, verse 26 says... That when this moment happens, the court that, the, that, the, that King Jesus ushers in, the one that God will send, the, 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 the Son of Man riding on the clouds, the, the, the court shall sit in judgment. His dominion, the, the dominion of the Antichrist, will be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. The Lord will come to rescue His people. Isn't that good news? Secondly, Jesus will win the battle. Jesus will win the battle. Revelation 19 speaks of Jesus returning on a white horse with with a great host, a great army. He will come, Lord Jesus will come as a mighty warrior. And let me tell you how he defeats the Antichrist. We're told in 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 8, listen. The lawless one will be revealed, the Antichrist, this emissary of Satan. The lawless one one will be revealed... Whom the Lord Jesus will kill, listen, with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Antichrist will will, uh, lead to bring together a great coalition, armies that will be opposed to the one true God. And Jesus Christ will return as a mighty warrior and all he will have to do is just breathe. And the Antichrist loses. 
That's how powerful our Savior is. Jesus will win the battle, and then Jesus will judge the enemy. It says there in verse 26 of Daniel 7, The court shall sit in judgment. His dominion shall be taken away. So, ostensibly, the body of the Antichrist will die. He says he will be killed but his soul will be judged for all of eternity. In fact, over in Revelation 19, the Bible says in verses 19 and 20, I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were, listen, thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, eternal destruction and judgment for the Antichrist and the false prophet who will have so much power and influence during the tribulation. In fact, look what it says in verse 11. When Daniel first sees the vision, I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. As I looked, the beast was killed, its body destroyed, given over to be burned with fire. As it's described in Revelation chapter 19. So in one, listen, in one passage, talk about a consequential chapter. In one passage, we see the rise and fall of the Antichrist right here in chapter 7. It is highly significant. And after the Lord returns and defeats the enemy and judges the enemy, finally we see that Jesus will set up his kingdom with his followers. Look in verse 27 of Daniel. The Bible says, The kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. At that moment, Jesus will usher in His kingdom, which will never fade away, which will never fail, will last forever. And it says there in verse 27 that this kingdom shall be given to the saints, that's you and I if we're Christians, given to the saints of the Most High. In other words, the saints will rule and reign with Jesus in that final kingdom. Dale Ralph Davis says it like this, I love this quote. Dominion, glory, and a kingdom were given to one like a son of man. Remember earlier in chapter 7, the ancient of days, the father gives the kingdom, the eternal kingdom, the everlasting kingdom to his son as a reward for his finished work of redemption. It says this kingdom, this glory was given to one like the son of man, Jesus. So what would be, listen, what would be more natural and proper than that the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven should be given to the people, to the saints of the Most High? You say, why in the world would Jesus receive this great kingdom and then give it to us as a gift? Dale Ralph David says this, The servants have no kingdom apart from their king, and the king does not reign without his servants. And here's the sentence I want you to hear. Jesus just cannot stand being separated from his people. Don't you like that? That's where we're headed. 
that when, when Jesus comes and overthrows the enemy and casts the, the Antichrist into the eternal lake of fire and sets up his kingdom, we'll be a part of that because he wants to be with us. He wants to rule and reign with us. He loves us. Oh, what an amazing thought that in this coming eternal kingdom we can be with Jesus. Now, some people ask what that's going to entail. What does it mean to rule and reign with Christ? I believe, as Revelation 22 says, we'll be servants in heaven. We'll have things to do. and We'll be servants in the kingdom, the thousand-year millennial kingdom, and then the new heavens and new earth. We'll be serving God in that. We don't know exactly what that looks like, but we'll have some, some authority, responsibility. We'll be ruling and reigning with Christ. But I do not think that means that if an issue arises, Jesus says, Hey, wait, what do you think? I think it means, listen, that in the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, physical kingdom on this earth, and in the eternal new heavens and new earth, we get a front row seat to experience Jesus and to watch his breathtaking wisdom and power. We're right there with him in this kingdom. Now, let me close it like this. Why does God give us this information? Why the apocalyptic part of Daniel? I mean, beasts and rising up out of the sea and horns and horns that talk and horns that see. And I mean, this is kind of, this is kind of, it feels like we're peddling a pill a bit, doesn't it? Why do we have the book of Revelation? Why, why that type of literature? Why does God give us this insight? What is the purpose of it? Is it so we can have lots of prophecy conferences and write interesting books? Well, maybe. We want to understand this better and grow in our understanding of it. But God doesn't give us this information just so we can have some interesting discussions about the details of the unfolding in times. We certainly want to grow in that and learn in that. But he didn't give us this just to satisfy our curiosity did he give us this information because he wants us to speculate endlessly as to who this antichrist figure will be you know the church has been doing that for hundreds and hundreds of years i could give you some names of people that the church thought was going to be the antichrist people like henry kissinger and others and there are these experts that say, well, that's, that's the Antichrist, or that's the Antichrist, or that's the Antichrist. Listen, we're not called to figure out who the Antichrist is. That's not why this passage is here. This information helps us to live, listen, with vigilant confidence. Vigilant confidence. And what I want you to walk away with today is that phrase, vigilant confidence. Say, wait, why vigilance? Well, the Antichrist has not yet been revealed. But until that time, the Bible tells us that the spirit of Antichrist is growing stronger and stronger. We don't see the person yet, but we feel the spirit, don't we? 
1 John chapter 2, verse 18, Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. In other words, don't be surprised when you see things disintegrating in your world and in your culture. It's the spirit of Antichrist. It's opposed to Christ. It's opposed to all that is good and right and true. And that spirit is growing stronger and stronger and stronger until one will rise as a person, a figure, a leader that will coalesce all of this sentiment and and wage war on the saints. And so we got to be vigilant, don't we? Antichrist hasn't surfaced yet in terms of the person, but boy, we see Antichrist sentiment everywhere. We need to be, listen, there's a reason that that the Lord gave us the, the spiritual warfare passage in Ephesians 6. There's a reason why we're to, to wear the full armor of God, amen? We are living in a world where the spirit of Antichrist is everywhere and growing stronger in many ways, shapes, and forms. So we got to be we got to be vigilant, but look, look at me. Look at me. We don't have to be terrified. Daniel was very concerned. Look at the last verse in chapter 7. Here's the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me. My color changed, but I kept the matter in my heart. Daniel saw this vision, and it, it was scary. But now... We look back at this vision through the lens of human history and we look back at this vision through the lens of the finished work of Jesus. You know why we don't have to be scared of the Antichrist? You know why we can have confidence, which is really what the entire second half of Daniel is about. We can have confidence because Jesus has already won. He came to this earth taking on human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And as the God-man, fully God, fully man, truly God, truly man, he went to the cross and took your sin and your sin and my sin upon himself and paid the penalty that we deserve to pay. He shed his blood that our sins could be washed away. Amen? He defeated sin. And then it gets even better. He died on the cross. He breathed his last. He cried out, it is finished into your hands. I commit my spirit. He was taken off the cross. He was prepared for burial. He's put into a borrowed tomb. And early on the third day, Jesus Christ defeated death itself. So we don't have to be scared. Jesus has defeated sin, defeated death. And in Christ, our sins are washed away. In Christ, we have eternal life in our future. We do not have to fear, even if death comes knocking at our door. Even if persecution comes knocking at our door. Even if suffering comes knocking at our door. Death has been defeated. So we don't have to live wringing our hands and wondering who this Antichrist figure is going to be and what it's going to be like. Because Jesus has all Ready, one. God is one. If we belong to him, we win too. We're on the winning team. Now let me just say this. If you're here this morning, and you're not a believer in Jesus, you don't have your eternity nailed down, You're not sure that you're going to heaven when you die. You don't have a relationship with God. You're far from him and you know. You've never been born again, never been redeemed. 
If you're not a Christian this morning, if I read a passage like Daniel chapter 7, it would terrify me. Because as of right now, you're not on the winning team. You're not living in victory and rest and confidence. But here's the good news. Jesus loves you. And he invites you to this kingdom. This victorious, eternal kingdom. He invites you to enter that kingdom as you follow and worship King Jesus. So we're to live with vigilant confidence. The point of this passage is not to focus on the Antichrist. If you walk away from this sermon and this worship service and you're thinking more about the Antichrist than Christ, you've missed the point of the text. And I've done a poor job communicating it. We want to walk away not thinking about the Antichrist and, and, and just curious about that, even though there is some curiosity. We want to walk away thinking about Christ. We want to walk away with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.